We've been studying through Ephesians, and we're at a key point, a key point to Christian knowledge and understanding. We've learned that everything begins with what? Knowledge. Everything begins with understanding. And God, through, by the power of the Spirit, through Paul, has been revealing for us the mind of God. The purpose of the church, the purpose of the saints, the position of the saints, that we're righteous in Christ, that we stand perfectly righteous in His sight, cleansed and purified positionally. And we are unified as one, Jew and Gentile, male and female. We are all one in Christ positionally. And that we are fit together, united as the holy temple of God. And that God lives in you, believer. Amen? And it's His power through us that brings revelation to the world of who He is, the person of Jesus Christ. So this is a key point in the New Testament. Understanding. Living life, you guys, to the fullest. And that's the focus of our study today. So I want to read Ephesians chapter 3, verses 14 through 21, because if you've been with us, you realize and understand that this is a prayer of Paul. He stopped in breaking down all of this understanding. It's the second of two prayers in Ephesians. The first one we covered weeks ago in chapter 1. So we're breaking down this prayer for the sake of understanding. Verse 14. It is for this reason I bow my knees to the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, from whom the whole family in heaven and earth is named, that he would grant you according to the riches of his glory, to be strengthened with might through his spirit in the inner man. In order that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may be able to comprehend with all the saints what is the width, the length, and depth, and height, to know the love of Christ which passes knowledge, in order that you may be filled with the fullness of God. Now to him who is able to do exceedingly abundantly above all that we ask or think, according to the power of that works in us, to Him be glory in the church, by Christ Jesus to all generations, forever and ever. Amen. Now, if you were here for the opening reading, and you see that I uh, opened with a reading out of the book of Ecclesiastes, and the reason I opened with that is that as I was studying this in the fullness of God, and the Christian being filled with the fullness of God, it reminded me of the emptiness that's portrayed through the book of Ecclesiastes. So for the sake of contrast, I wanted to read from Ecclesiastes, and I want to give you a brief summary of what that particular book is about. You can study it later. So this is not, it may sound like an introduction to the teaching of Ecclesiastes, but I want you to have in your mind this great contrast between emptiness and an attempt to fill the God-shaped void that every human being is created with, in light of those of us in Christ who can have and are enabled to have and to be filled with the fullness of God. So he opens up and he says, Vanity of vanities, says the preacher. Vanity of vanities, all is vanity. It's the key word in Ecclesiastes. Vanity means emptiness, the thing that is ultimately unsatisfying. The wisest, most richest, most influential king of Israel that has ever lived was Solomon. Granted wisdom from God, granted great riches, 40 years of peace under his reign. Incredible wisdom. You read the Proverbs, we see his wisdom. You read Ecclesiastes, we read about his foolishness. What he did is he allowed himself to be pulled away from a deepening relationship with God 
He married many women, because between his wives and his concubines, he had concubines, he had a thousand women. And through those relationships, he allowed himself to be pulled away with his relationship with God and to fall right into idolatry. And then when one steps out of that rich fellowship with God, you will attempt to fill yourself and attempt to find happiness in everything else but God. In the sum of it all, the preacher says, it's vanity. It's futile. It's emptiness. Pleasure never brings happiness. There's a lot of things in the world that are pleasurable, amen, that aren't sinful. But what he defines through this entire book is the emptiness and the futility that there is in attempting to find happiness outside of God. It'll please you for a while, amen? In the book of Ecclesiastes, it's really known as existentialism, which focuses on this analysis of individual existence in an immeasurable universe. Why am I here? So I'll go out and I will attempt to find fulfillment with everything that the world has to offer. And Solomon says, don't even bother because it's all empty. There's nothing that you're going to be able to do that Solomon hasn't already done or attempted to do. Existentialism says, go for the gospel. Do what pleases you. Fulfill yourself. Ecclesiastes is a dramatic autobiography of the life of Solomon who did just that. He fell away from God. He allowed himself, I should say, to fall away from God, to step away from God. And then he attempted, with all of his resources, to find fulfillment, pleasure through entertainment and all these different things. But it was all empty. You know, many people look at the Old Testament and say, well, why would God allow, you know, these guys to have all these wives and, you know, God never allowed it. In Deuteronomy 17, as Israel was getting ready to step into the promised land under the leadership of Moses, you basically see one long sermon. He says in there in Deuteronomy 17, he says, when you get into the land, you're going to ask yourselves a king for yourselves, a king just like the surrounding nation. And that's exactly what happened. He says, in that day, he, the king, he shall not multiply horses for himself, nor cause the people to return to Egypt to multiply horses, for the Lord has said to you, you shall not return that way again. The way of what? The way of Egypt. The way of pleasure. You shall not return that way again. Neither shall he multiply wives for himself, lest his heart turn away. Nor shall he be greatly multiply silver and gold for himself. Solomon multiplied all four. Everything that God said not to do, he did. And we see this transgression. We see this falling away back into a life of pleasure. All this wisdom. You read Proverbs, amen? Read Ecclesiastes this week. And you will see the wisest man attempting to live out a life full of foolishness, emptiness. Vanity of vanity, says the preacher, all is vanity. He says there, the eye is not satisfied with seeing, nor is the ear filled with hearing. Everything that the world has to offer, you can never satisfy or please the things that you take in here, or that which you take in here, if you are not focused on being filled with the fullness of God. He was empty. But the eyes of man, never satisfied. Never, until you step into a relationship with God. And even when one steps into a relationship with God, if they do not pursue fulfilling themselves in the truth of God, being saturated in the truth of God, and allowing themselves to be filled with the fullness of God, you will fall into these patterns of desire. The environment may change throughout time, but you know what? Man does not change because he's just given to lust. Please, and guess who? The man in the mirror. The man in the mirror is the number one person in your life outside of Christ. And oftentimes inside Christ, as we step into a relationship with Him, if we don't keep the focus and be yielded and surrendered to Him, strengthening the inner man, you begin to worship the man in the mirror. 
And we all can fall prey to that temptation. Otherwise, you'll be given to this. Three basic sins. Lust of the flesh, lust of the eyes, and what? The pride of life. Throughout Ecclesiastes, Solomon speaks of wisdom, philosophy. As you read through the book, you'll see he gave himself in an attempt to please himself with entertainment, materialism. And here's this one, religion. This isn't religion in here. This is the church of Jesus Christ, sinners saved by grace, joining together for the fellowship of what we share, being saved by the blood of Christ. Worshiping and being fed his word so that we grow thereby to go back into the world to be light in the midst of darkness. Amen? He goes on to talk about wealth, even being a do-gooder. talks about morality. Morality, outside of Christ, eternally speaking, is meaningless. Because if you're not in Christ, if you're not surrendered to the Lordship of the one who came to save the world, eat, drink, and be merry, for tomorrow you die, right? Go live out a little secure, conservative life with everything available to you. If that's all there is, give yourself to it, he says. Eat, drink, and be merry, Paul said. Tomorrow you die. If there's no hope outside of that which we have in Christ, if the world has no redeeming hope, go for it, he says, you see. Go for it. If you work your way through Ecclesiastes, you get to chapter 12. And it wraps up with a poetic picture of old age. Very interesting, if you ever want to check it out. It wraps up with this very beautiful picture of growing old. And he concludes his whole life of being nothing but a vain attempt to fulfill that area of pleasure outside of God, which only led to greater emptiness. What an irony, huh? leading to greater emptiness, greater despair. And then Solomon finally concludes in chapter 12, you get 11 and a half chapters of this, he finally concludes with this. Ecclesiastes 12, 13. Let us hear the conclusion of the whole matter. Fear God, keep His commandments, for this is man's all. For God will bring every work into judgment, including every secret thing, whether good or evil. For the Christian, as we've been studying through Ephesians, you are indwelt with the very living God of the universe. Do we all understand that? If you're a believer. If you're not a believer, we plead with you to listen today, to really pay attention today. You may have knowledge about God, but you may not be in Him. You may not be saved from the wrath to come, you see. The wrath to come is an individual having to pay for their own sins. You do not want to pay for your own sins. You do not want to be separated from God for eternity. We're gathered together today because of the hope we have of the finish line that's come, you see. It's called glory. It's called stepping into the presence of God for eternity because of the finished work of Jesus Christ at the cross, you see. That's why we're here. And while we're here, shall we not want to be filled with the fullness of God? To find true contentment and to be a true light to a lost world who doesn't know him? Or do we want to be like the world, just attempting to find fulfillment as Solomon did? We're warned it leads to more emptiness. It leads to more emptiness. So as believers, here we are in the book of Ephesians. I told you it sounded like an introduction to Ecclesiastes, didn't it? But think about the contract. Because here we are with the ability to be filled with the fullness of God if we follow the instructions given in Ephesians, which I've taught and kind of phrased the connection of control. 
connection of control. Control of who? Control of you? No. His control over you. A submitted, yielded control, you see, to him. So all of his power is unleashed in you and through you, above and beyond what you're able to even imagine. That's where we're going today. You see, that's where we're going. Psalm 119.98 says this, You through your commandments make me wiser than my enemies, for they are ever with me. I have more understanding than all my teachers, for your testimonies are my meditation. You know why? All because as believers we have the Word of God. The Word of God is life for the believer. Amen? The Word of God is life. And with that privilege, see this is the greatest privilege you all have right here, that which is in your hand today. The greatest privilege you have is the understanding has been granted to you by grace to understand this. To understand this. With privilege comes what? You got it, brothers and sisters. Responsibility. You know, I say that on Sunday when we come to gather together for the reading and teaching of the Word, that we're responsible to prepare our minds to become, to come here to be engaged with the truth. To be prepared. To be rested. To have my mind open to what God would have for me, you see. So that we can take it out and glorify God in all that we do. You know, it's been said that some Christians come to church and they don't drink in the Word of God. It's been said that they gargle it. They gargle it. They hold it in their mouth. You know, a couple hallelujahs and praise Jesus is on the way out. And then right when they get to the parking lot, before they close the door, they spit it on the ground. That happens today a lot. It always has. But we're called to drink in the Word of God. To be filled up with the Word of God. So that from out of us will flow what? Streams of living water, you see? Streams of living water. Transformation. So, here we are in Ephesians. In Ephesians, if we go back and look a little bit at Ephesians chapter 1, verse 7 and 8, look at the promise. It said, verse 7, chapter 1, In Him we have redemption through His blood, the forgiveness of sins according to the riches of His grace. We, you, I, we're rich in Christ, guys. Rich. Immeasurable wealth, spiritual wealth in Christ. Verse 8, Which He made to abound toward us in all wisdom and prudence. He goes on in verse 18. Remember Paul stopped and prayed? He goes, I pray that the eyes of your understanding being enlightened, that they may know what is the hope of his calling. What are the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints? That we'll understand that our thinking, that your thinking, that my thinking, will be consumed with the promises within the Word of God, you see. Consumed. Not this meager attempt, this... this Vain attempt to find fulfillment with everything that the world has to offer. But fulfillment in God's truth. Psalm 119, 167 says this, My soul keeps your testimonies and I love them exceedingly. Job 23, 12. Listen to this. Job 23, 12. I have not departed from the commandment of his lips. I have treasured the words of his mouth more than my necessary food. That's Job. He had a bit of trouble. Did he have a bit of trouble? A bit of suffering that there's no one in this room that will face. Divinely orchestrated and allowed by God. Allowed. By God. So Ephesians, here we are, has reinforced and reminded us 
of the great feast that we have, but it's our responsibility, guys, to feed on it. To feed on it. It's our responsibility to get into it and get it into us, to drink it in for the sake of understanding, you see. You don't want to come here and hear, and hear me say, hey, don't go to bars, right? Don't get drunk. Don't sleep with someone who's not your wife or your husband, right? Don't mess around and sleep around if you're not married. You don't want to hear just these, just these pound in the pulpit, don't and do, do this and don't do that, right? But when you understand the depth of the love of Christ and the price he paid for you and all the power available to you, then you begin to live from all that he has done for you, you see. No longer this vain attempt to trying to find favor in the sight, you see. You've been granted all the favor in Christ back at Calvary, which is the cross, you see. This is what we want to understand. This is what Paul is defining and declaring for us through the book of Ephesians. All of that which has already been done on your account. Living from it. Not attempting to, guide, to, to find favor in moving towards it. So remember, a recap of verse 16, chapter 3, verse 16. Remember this? Now, if you weren't with us last time, I encourage you to get the message that we did on CD over here, verses 17 and 18. Because we spent a lot of time in there. It's important that you understand because it really connects everything that we're looking at today. But a recap of verse 16 says that he be strengthened with might through his spirit in the what? Inner man. Now we said, look, how many Christians pray for all this outward material comfort, right? We have to ask ourselves, how much time do we spend praying for our inner man? Lord God, whatever it takes, I want to grow in the grace and knowledge of you. Whatever it takes, I want to be submitted to you. Whatever it takes, Lord, do a work in me that will bring me to a place to feast on and then allow your word to flow through me. And we pray for other people. How much time do we focus on praying for their spiritual walk, the spiritual depth of understanding that they have versus, oh, you know, my friend Michael, you know, his big toe hurts. And Lord, please heal him of his big toe, ingrown toenail. Okay, that's all fine, but where do we spend our time? On the spiritual inner man stuff or the outside comfort stuff, you see? That's what he's saying. He'll be strengthened through faith by the spirit in the inner man, right? The inner man. The world has no offer. There's nothing that the world offers in psychology or any of this psychobabble stuff out there that is going to strengthen the inner man of anyone. Because the only way that anyone can have an inner man to be strengthened in the first place is they have to be in Christ. They have to be in Christ. So as we strengthen the inner man, we are able to move on to verse 17. Remember this? Verse 16, strengthened with might through his spirit in the inner man. And remember the purpose clause is the word that. It's a purpose clause which means in order that. In other words, if you do this first thing, the next thing is possible. To do this, you have to do this first. So once the inner man is strengthened, you're walking yielded to the Holy Spirit who indwells who? Believers, yielded to the Spirit moment by moment, day by day, thought by thought. Verse 18, in order that he may, verse 17, that Christ may dwell in your hearts. And we looked at that and we said, wait a minute. Christ may dwell in my heart. If I'm a believer, doesn't Christ already dwell in me? Now we studied what this word means and we realized that if you have the Holy Spirit, Christ has to dwell in you, right? Because you do not have the Holy Spirit unless you have Christ. 
So we did a word study on this, and we realized that the English is insufficient here to properly interpret for us what that means. So we learned that once the inner man is strengthened, once you as a believer are yielded to the Spirit, Christ, yes, he does live in you, but here's the thing, to dwell means to settle down and be at home. Because Christ can live and you can be his home, but he ain't comfortable there. And if you're not yielded to the Spirit, living a life that brings glory to God, giving him every room of the house, the thinking, the desires, the recreation, the workshop, what I do for the kingdom, he can't settle down and be at home. He may be home, but he's not at home. Kind of like living in a mess, right? We studied that. Christ's heart, my home. When the inner man is strengthened, and you as a believer are yielded to the Spirit of God, and He brings revelation and light of His truth by what you know to be true, and you yield to Him, Christ is able to settle down and be at home. Settle down. Because there's a lot of homes that are really messed up that He lives in. And if you're a neat person, I like to be neat. You know, I shared a couple weeks ago that when my house is all messed up, literally my real home, my physical home, I, I just can't be comfortable. It's hard for me to read, man, if there's a mess over there. And I've got to go clean it up so then I can settle down, be at home, be comfortable. It's the same way with Christ and you, believer. When the inner man is strengthened, the purpose clause leads you to the next thing. Christ can settle down. Is he at home in you? Is he at home with you today? So once Christ has settled down in your hearts, verse 17, through faith that you being rooted and grounded in what? Love. See, when the inner man is strengthened, you're yielded to the power of the Holy Spirit. You're trusting what the Word says versus the way you feel. Christ is able to settle down. He's at home. And then you will be rooted like the tree planted by the water, right? Grounded like the building that's dug deep. Tall, tall uh, skyscrapers, they're not sitting on a four-by-four-inch slab of concrete, amen? They're deep, deep, so that they can stand. Rooted and grounded in what? Love, which we're going to focus on today. What the love of Christ looks like. The love of Christ. Rooted and grounded. And then, in verse 18, that we may be able to comprehend with all the saints what is the width and length and depth and height. John MacArthur draws a brilliant illustration as to this immeasurable love. Okay? Listen to this, and I quote. In verse 18, Paul attempts to define this immeasurable love demonstrated by, check it out, the cross. This is the ultimate symbol of love. It points up, down, and side to side. His love is a universal love. Ephesians 2.11 is the breadth of his love. Reaching anybody, bringing those at opposite ends of the earth together. Who do you bring together? Jew and? It would seem impossible to man, wouldn't it? Christ did it through the cross. Ephesians 1.4, the length of his love from eternity to eternity. Choosing us before the foundation of the earth. Ephesians 2, 1 through 3, we see the depth of his love. The very pit of sin where we were dead in trespasses and sins. Remember that place? Remember that place? We were dead. Guilty. In the height, 
Ephesians 1, 3 and 2, 6, the very presence of God sitting on the throne, that his, that is his love. We are to build our life on this kind of love to comprehend, experience, and to know it, end quote. There's a picture right there. There's an illustration of the immeasurable love of God in verse 18. Because see, it's with all the saints. Notice verse 18, we are able to comprehend with who? With all the saints. That's you and I. That's sinners saved by grace. We can comprehend that love. If you can't comprehend the love, you're either not in Christ or you're like Solomon right now. If you can't comprehend that love, you're either not in Christ or you are like Solomon. Attempting to find fulfillment in everything else. And that leads us off, that leads us to where we left off last time. Okay? So here's our Bible study today. After that introduction. Verse 19. This is to know the love of Christ, which passes knowledge that you may be filled with all the fullness of who? God. You know, the only way to be truly happy, believer, the only way to be truly full of joy, is to be filled to the fullness God's love. That's the only way. That's the only way. Sorry, but thus says the Lord. Amen? And did you know that you have perfect love in you? You have the perfected love. If you're a believer, you have the perfected love of Christ in you. You don't have to pray for God to fill you with his love. It's promised that you're already filled with it. And we'll learn how to get it out if you're having trouble getting it out in a little bit. I find myself having trouble getting the perfect, perfected love of Christ out of me sometimes. Amen? Come on now. That's why we gather here, right? This is a hospital for the sick. Saved by grace. Sinners, that is. Saved by grace. Here to be filled up and to transform our thinking and line it up with who? With His. We come in here to change our thinking every week by the infallible, infallible, inerrant Word of God. Able to yield to it because you got the Spirit of God in you, you see? That's why we join here. Amen? Thank God for grace. Amen? Romans 5.5 5 says this, The love of Christ has been shed abroad in our hearts by the Holy Spirit who's given to us. The Holy Spirit's already in you, brothers and sisters. He's in you. Paul's pleading that we be yielded to him for the strengthening of the inner man. And then Christ can settle down. Be at home. Be comfortable. Then he's not having to go clean up all these messes, you see. Because you know what he does sometimes to clean up messes? We learned a couple weeks ago. What? A little chastening, right? A little spanking. Because whom the Lord loves, he chastens. Don't hate his chastening. Hate, jealousy, envy, bitterness, burning resentments. Also attached to unforgiveness, by the way. Is not a product of love. It is not a product of love. You know, it's, you know, like it's, it's easier to breathe than to hold your breath, right? You haven't thought about breathing since you walked in here, right? I'd be a little warm, but you haven't had to think about breathing. As a believer, being filled with the love of God, we ought not have to think about loving with the love of Christ. It should be natural. If you hold unforgiveness towards someone, if you're, bitterness, if you're bitter towards someone, and remember, a bitter root defiles many. If you're holding resentment and bitterness towards someone who's hurt you in the past, it's not hurting them. It's only going to hurt you. It dishonors God, but it will destroy you. Someone who hurt you sinned against you that's in the grave. 
You may hold bitterness and resentment against them today. It's not affecting them. They're dead. But that bitterness, that burning resentment, that ember will ruin you. Bitterness is connected to a burning ember. And you have a burning ember that hides after a fire. And it's called, uh, what's it called, John? Or not reflash, but what is it? A flashover. If this place was set on fire, the fire department would come in and put the fire out. They would rake down all the walls and they'd be looking for a burning ember. Because if they didn't overhaul the place and pull down looking for a burning ember, as soon as they got back to the station, you'd have a flashover. Start on fire again. That's what bitterness is. Bitterness. Resentment. Held down within the heart against someone who's done something against you. It's not going to hurt that person. But you will see it flare up when just other things happen in your life. And then that bitter root defiles, as, uh, as Hebrew says, what? Many. Many. Believer, you have the love of Christ in you, which enables you to forgive those who've sinned against you. You're able to forgive. So if you sit here today with resentment and bitterness and hatred towards someone who has sinned against you, I urge you to go back to the cross and allow the prevented love of Christ to flow out of you towards that person or persons, you see. It'll kill you. It'll kill you. It's an inward destroyer. Spousal indifference. Okay? If you're a believer. Now, I'll tell you one thing. If there's any place in which the perfected love of Christ ought to be made visible, it's in a Christian home. Parents to their children. Children, if you're a Christian, to your parents. You better be showing respect to your parents, Christian children. <laughs> right? You show respect because of the love of God who you profess. Otherwise, don't profess it. Husband and wife, you are able to love one another. You are able to love one another through indifferences. You are able to overcome the temptation for divorce as a believer. You're able to overcome that because of the perfect love of Christ which indwells you. And I tell you what, when we don't, and I'll include myself, when the perfected love of Christ isn't flowing out of us, there's only one thing that hinders. One thing, you know what it is? Sin. Sin is a hindrance to the outpouring of the love of Christ which indwells you. The fullness. Where there's the absence of love, there's the presence of sin. Where there's the absence of forgiveness, there's the presence of sin. Where there's bitter and bitterness and resentment, there's the presence of sin and the absence of love, you see. But you know, I've loved him for so long and he's just not changing. I've loved her so long, she still treats me the same. You feel mistreated? Nobody's been more mistreated than God. Nobody's ever been more mistreated than Jesus Christ, the author and finisher of our faith. Oh, I just don't love her anymore, really. Yeah, I just don't have it anymore. You know, the world's love says, you know what, I'll choose to love you as long as you make me happy. Right? That's the world. That's what the world says. Okay? You look good, you make me feel good, and I'll love you as long as you look good and make me feel good. That's what the world's love is. Christ's love says, I love you because it's of my nature to love you, because the one who's loved me lives in me, and I can love you like that. Therefore, I love you. You see? I love you. That's Christ's love. That's the love that you have if you're a believer here today. God's love's perfect. 
God's love sees your brother or sister as perfect in Christ and therefore loves. You see? That's the love of God that Paul's talking about. Selfish love is selective love. You love who you want the way you want. Selective love. Loving people the way you want, how you want, when you want. John 15, verse 12, Jesus said, This is my commandment that you love one another as I have what? Love you. Romans 13, 8. Now listen to this. Check this out. Owe no one anything except to love one another, for he who loves another has fulfilled the law. Check it out. Owe no one anything except to love one another, for he who loves another has fulfilled the law. Love does no harm to a neighbor, therefore love is the fulfillment of the law. The fulfillment of the law. Jesus said this, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. This is the first and great commandment. Check it out. And the second, like it, you shall love your neighbor as well. On these two commandments, you can hang all the law and the prophets. Hold your finger in Ephesians. Go to Exodus 20. Exodus 20. The Ten Commandments. I want to give you a new way to look at the Ten Commandments today. Not some burdensome law to uphold, right? Recognize the Ten Commandments as the perfected love of God. Perfect love. The Ten Commandments. Perfect love. You know, the Ten Commandments are really ten principles that exhibit perfect love to God and to people. First commandment. Love the Lord your I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of bondage. You shall have no other gods before me. Perfect love towards God is a committed, loyal love. To love Him perfectly is to be perfectly committed to Him. You shall have no other gods before me. Right? First commandment. The second perfect form of love towards God is you shall not make for yourself any carved image. Okay? First commandment, perfect love towards God is perfectly loyal, perfectly committed. Second commandment, perfect love towards God is perfectly faithful, being perfectly faithful to God. Worshipping nothing outside of Him. Setting up no form, no image before Him. Not your car, not your job, not anything else but God. Perfectly committed. Perfectly faithful. Verse 7, you shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain. Perfect love toward God is perfectly reverent. Not loose talk about God. Perfectly reverent toward God and for God. Verse 8, remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Perfect love toward God is perfectly set apart. It's perfectly intimate towards Him. as There's a perfect intimacy there. It's set apart just for Him. Him and Him alone. Verse 12, now we're getting in, there's four commandments, perfect love for the person to God. Then it moves on to human relationships. Your first neighbor is your parents, right? The first relationship that we ever have with anyone really is our parents, or a parent type of figure. So in verse 12 it says, honor your father and mother, for, the, for your days may be long upon the land which the Lord your God is giving you. Perfect love towards another human being is perfectly respectful. Perfectly respectful. 
Then it says you shall not murder. Love is harmless. Love is perfectly humane. You shall not steal. Perfect love towards another is perfectly unselfish. Perfectly unselfish. You shall not bear false witness against the neighbor. Perfect love is truthful in speech. Truthful. You shall not covet your neighbor's house or anything that is thy neighbor's. Perfect love toward another, you guys, is perfectly content. You have perfect love towards God, perfect love towards man. Who can uphold that perfect law? You say. Nobody. But here's the good news. See, this bad news, so if you can't fulfill that and you're not in Christ, you're going to have to pay for not being able to do that, which means you can't be perfect. To get to heaven, you have to be perfect. If you can't be perfect and perfectly love God and man like that, you will pay for your own sins. When you die, you'll be separated from God for eternity, and you'll have to suffer for your sins, where there's wailing and weeping and gnashing of teeth. Bad news or good news? That's bad news. We're gathered today because of the good news. And the good news is that Jesus Christ came to live this perfect law out fully and completely. He, by His Spirit, lives in you, therefore enabling you to uphold the law, to hold it up. You are able, by His power, His Spirit, strengthening of the inner man, so that Christ can settle down, you being full and filled with the love of God, can live it out because you're able to, you see? You're able to. Come on now. Good news? You are able to live like that. I am able to live like that. The perfect law of love. James 1 calls it the liberty. Liberty of the law. Liberty and law, they would seem contrary to one another, wouldn't they? We've been liberated to uphold it because of the presence of the Holy Spirit in your life by God's grace. Selfish love is selective love. It's not Christ-like. The world's love is for what? The world's love is all about what you can get. Christ's love is all about what you can give. The world wants to get. In Christ, we're able to give. Give. And all it is, guys, is a flowing from Him in you and then out of you. Instruments of His grace. And how oftentimes do we fight the outflow of the love? Come on now. Don't tell me I'm the only one in here now. We fight it, don't we? Because we let our flesh and our fleshful desires, which always want to please who? Self. Your flesh, the desire of your flesh. You can't help the fact, by the way, that your flesh desires to sin. Right? So Galatians says, walk in the Spirit and you will not fulfill the desires of the flesh. Your flesh, that sinful part of us, wants to please self. You can't help the desire. That's why you're called to walk in the Spirit and crucify the desire and you won't fulfill it. Got it? Crucify it. Kill it. You have to kill it. The desire is going to be there. So the day you go home to be with the Lord, it's going to be there. You have to kill it. Kill it. And then the love of Christ will flow out. Don't let your family fall apart, guys. If you're a Christian family, do not let your family fall apart. You do not need to get a divorce. You do not need to hate and strive against one another because you have the perfect love of God in your family. You're able to uphold that perfected love. It's a choice. Got it? Surrender. Back to Ephesians. Okay, we got the whole strengthening of the inner man. 
yielded to the Holy Spirit, Christ can settle down, he can be at home, so that you may be able to comprehend with all the rest of the saints what is the width and the depth and the length and the height of his love. And then we can know, verse 19, the love of Christ which passes knowledge, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. So when all those take place, verse 19 can happen. Connection to control, remember? Connection to control. Filled with the Holy Spirit, verse 16. Filled with the Son, verse 17. Filled here with the Creator, the Sustainer, God Almighty, God the Father. You're filled with the Trinity, man. God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. The Godhead, God Himself, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, dwells and dwells you. He lives in you. He lives in me. God in His totality. It's an immeasurable love. Amen? Connection control. Connection to control. Otherwise, you'll be like Solomon. You'll be trying to fulfill, you'll be trying to fill that void with everything else but the love of God. Don't be a Solomon. I don't care how smart you are, how smart you think you are, how many degrees you have. It doesn't matter. We're all one in Christ positionally. You've got to be filled with the love of Christ. Let it flow out. He, um, Ephesians 1.23 says, We the church, which are his bodies, the fullness of him who fills all in all. He wants to live in you fully. That's it. He wants to live in you completely. Full measure. You know, sometimes we'll go, you know, I'll get a little God, a little for me. Right? Just a little for me today. I just want to feed that desire just a little bit, right? A little bit for God, a little bit for me. He wants it all. He wants it all. Until his agenda becomes your agenda, you'll be chasing the same things that Solomon chased after. Solomon knew God. Do you know that? He knew God. He began his ministry. He began his reign with praying, Oh God, I'm, but a, I'm a youth. God said, You can pray for anything you want and I'll grant it to you. I pray for wisdom, Lord, and knowing how to rule and lead your people. So God blessed him with that and he blessed him with abundant riches. And ain't nobody been as rich as that brother. If you really read through Chronicles and First Kings and you read all these, the, the history of Israel and under King Solomon's reign, unbelievable wealth, unbelievable wisdom. The Queen of Sheba comes up because she hears about all the wisdom this man has. She sits at his feet and listens. He goes, oh my goodness. Who's paraphrased here, by the way? <laughs> Everything that's been said about you, Solomon... And as I sit in your presence and listen to your wisdom, it far exceeds anything that's ever even been said of you. We usually exaggerate, right? We typically exaggerate when we hear something or see something. Not in this case. His wisdom far exceeded that which was being rumored about him. Unbelievable. Sin is pleasurable for a season, guys. It can be fun. But it will never, ever, ever lead to happiness. Happiness will die, Christian. Joy will die, believer, if you live a life of just wanting pleasure. Not all pleasure is sinful, amen? I was out on the river with my family last week. It was very pleasurable. There's nothing sinful about it at all. A whole bunch of fun. Pleasurable. The pleasure that Solomon was attempting to fulfill his little desires with it's led him into deeper and deeper sin, further and further away from God. Matthew 5, verse 6, you can mark this down. Matthew 5, verse 6, Jesus said, Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be filled. 
filled. You hunger and thirst for righteousness. What are your appetites? Is your appetite to feed the inner man? Or is your appetite to please the outer man? Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. The promise is that you'll be filled. It means to be gorged. To gorge. Supplying something in abundance. Supplying food in abundance. Gorge. You know what it's like when you're just, you've eaten way too much? And, and remember that old commercial, plop, plop, fizz, fizz, oh, what a relief it is? Remember that, Alka-Seltzer? Oh, I felt like that after eating sometimes. Hunger and thirst for righteousness, and he promises you will be filled above what you can imagine. Gorge. The sum of it all is this, guys. It's all internal power. It's internal power. That's what Paul's talking about. And then the great benediction. Verse 20. The great benediction. Now to him who is able to do exceedingly abundantly above all that we ask or think, according to the what? Power that works in us. When the believer follows this connection and control, you've got to follow the sequence that Paul's, Paul gives here. The inner man's got to be strengthened, yielded to the Holy Spirit. When you're yielded to the Holy Spirit, the inner man is strengthened. Christ settles down. He's at home. Then the fullness and the abundant love of Christ, knowledge and understanding, flows out of you. Connection control. Then he is able, guys... Then he is able to do abundantly, exceedingly, above all that we ask or think. God's all-powerful, amen? He's all-powerful, but guess what, you guys? You hold the key as to whether or not he's able to turn it on. You see what I'm saying? Believer, I'm talking to you here now. You hold the key. We hold the key. He's able to do exceedingly, abundantly, above what we could ask or imagine. But you've got to give him access and allow him to do it. Inner man strengthened, walking, yielded to the Spirit, moment by moment, thought by thought, day by day, Christ settled down, he's at home, and all the fullness of God, the Godhead, the Trinity, flow out of you. He's able to do above and beyond. So until verses 16 to 19 are connected, verse 20 doesn't happen. You might want to mark that down. When 16 to 19 happen, verse, unless they happen, verse 20, it won't happen. It won't happen. John 14, 12, Jesus said, Most assuredly I say to you, he who believes in me, he who works, or I should say, the works that he will do also, and greater works than these he will do because I go to my Father. Okay? Greater work than God, greater work than Jesus. Okay? Just so you know, this is not greater work in power. Okay? Not greater work in equality. Not greater work in power, not greater work in quality. Because if we were able to just talk and raise people from the dead as Jesus did, you're able to just heal lepers and things like that, it would totally take away from the unique earthly visit of God the Son, you see. So he's not talking about greater things in power or quality. He's talking about greater things in quantity or extension. Because you think about it. Church history, from the apostolic age when Jesus rose from the dead and ascended to heaven, look at all of the power that's been unleashed through the church to lead people to the throne of grace. It's going to exceed the three and a half year earthly ministry of Jesus Christ. Amen? That's what he wants to do through you. You've got to give him the control. 
You've got to allow him. So don't ever say this, believer. Oh, God, he can't use me. Yes, he can. The question is, are you going to allow him to? That's the question. You see? Connection of control. Connection of control. And he will use you above and beyond what you will ever imagine. Anything that you can even think of how God could use you, it will, be, it will far out exceed that. I cannot even begin to imagine. To look, I'll just go back ten years. Ten years. I remember, well, ten years ago, I couldn't imagine everything that God has done through me in ten years. It's all Him. It's all His grace. Places I've been, people that He's enabled me to lead to Christ or share the truth with or preach to, whatever the case, or people wanting to beat me up because of the truth, right? Or called me names because of the truth. All that to glorify God. Amen. I couldn't even begin to write that down. And neither can you. If you will simply yield yourself and allow him that area, look out. You know what God would do for this church? If each one of us individually were yielded to him like that on a day-by-day, moment-by-moment basis, let alone what we would do corporately, teaching, leading other people, the weak in faith, the people who keep falling into the same pit, coming alongside of them, helping them up, giving them divine truth, right? Standing for truth, standing against air. Error? People who proclaim and profess to be teaching the great truth of God and they're teaching error, they're teaching lies, and to be able to stand in the power of the Holy Spirit. You know what God would do through this church? Winning the lost to Christ, winning this community to Christ? Look out now. Come on. Amen? That's what we want to be about. We don't want sin in the camp. Anyone who stands up here, they're leading worship. Anyone who's teaching children, anyone who's teaching youth, anyone who's women teaching women and, and, and men teaching, whatever the case, I tell you what, if there's sin in the camp, it will, it will stifle the power of God. We ain't going to have it. You know what happened in the Old Testament when there was sin in the camp, right? God opened up the earth and swallowed up the people that were in rebellion. Swallowed up the people that were in sin. Amen? Come on now. God's going to purge out, purge out the unholiness. He's going to purge out the sin. He'll do it in His time and He'll do it His way. You need to be praying for each other. You need to be watching your life. Amen? Let's watch our lives. Let's give ourselves, allow, allow God, I should say, the control of your life. Turn it on. And He will do above and beyond what you could ever imagine, guys. You might be intimidated to share the gospel with somebody. Some, like This guy called me last night. If you saw him, if he walked in here, half of you would be in fear. Just by his appearance. I'm not even kidding you. He's a bad boy. This guy is so on fire for Jesus Christ, so in love with God. He's a he's a new man for two almost two years now. He lives right here in our backyard. PB, his reputation is right here in the backyard. How brothers and sisters you know him? Right here. Big reputation. They know he ain't the same man. He's given God the power. Power. So you call me up. He goes by JT. My name is John Leader, so JL are my initials. He goes, JL, this is JT. We need a debrief. <laughs> we need a debrief, big John. We need a debrief. His debrief is he wants to go back to truth. Truth. Because everything that's going on in his life, people making accusations against him, people in his life, they're seeing a change. There's no argument against his changed life. Period. He's a man of God, saved by grace, who's given God the power and the control of his life so that he will do through him and out of him way beyond what he could ever imagine. Ever. Ever. 
We've got to be under his power. No sin in the camp. Bottom line, no sin, we won't have it. We'll try to restore people, but if you choose to not repent and you're serving us some ministry, we will cast you out. As the Bible says, out of fellowship with the hope that you will repent. Because if you want to play with the devil, he'll beat you down. God will allow him to beat you down with the hope that you will repent. This is the holiness of God we want to uphold, guys, because we're able to uphold it. Amen. God's holy. He's holy. He loves you, and he loves you enough because he wants to pull you up and bring you up to a new place of understanding who he is. His power through you, you see. You're able to do it above and beyond. I should say he's able to do it above and beyond. He can only be able to do it if you let him do it. Amen? So let's say we are doing all these great things for the Lord. We are yielded to him, and he is using us in a great and mighty way. Just so that we never get puffed up, just so that we never think it that it's me, just so you never think that it's you, and so that we don't forget that it's him through us, we have verse 21. To him be glory, where? In the church. Guys, sinners, saved by grace is all we are. We are sinners saved by grace. If you're not in Christ, you're not part of the church. We plead with you. We urge you. We beg you to repent. We urge you to call on the Lord Jesus Christ and be saved so that you can be part of the family. Just because you go doesn't mean you're part of it. You get it. It's a family. Sinners saved by grace. That's what we are. To Him be the glory in the church. By Christ Jesus to all generations forever and ever. Amen. Remember, guys, it's always by the church that Christ is glorified. It's by the church. And we remember when we read in um, chapter 3, verse 10, and, and Paul is explaining all this, and what he's doing is praying about the thing he just explained, by the way. And he said in verse 10, he said, To the intent that now the manifold wisdom of God might be made known by the church, to the principalities and powers in the heavenly places. And we learned that when the church is functioning as it's supposed to function, as it's working together as it's supposed to work together, as we work within our unique areas of giftedness, as we stand in the unique um, roles that God has given us as man and woman, as we function like that, it gives reason for the angel to glorify God, you see. It's by the church to the principalities and powers. To Christ be the glory. So here it is, guys. Connection of control. You're focused on the strengthening of the inner man, yielded to the power of the Holy Spirit. Christ can settle down. He can be at home in you. You're rooted and grounded in love, and then from out of you will follow the perfect law of love, which you are enabled to uphold. You're enabled to uphold it. Able to comprehend, and only, as only a Christian can, the immeasurable love of God, knowing his love, being filled to the full with him. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. And then, that purpose clause, in order that. In order that. He's able to do for you abundantly above all that you can imagine or ever think. So, do not allow, guys, careless living, worldly living, to pull you away from the life that God wants you to have. Like Solomon. Empty. You'll realize real quick that it's all vanity. It's empty. Allow him to fill you to the fullest, amen? And then, when we come together, you can share with one another 
the immeasurable things that God has done abundantly above and beyond anything you can imagine share with one another. He gets the glory.